Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. Most of us men are notorious when it comes to not stopping and asking for directions. That's kind of a, a fable. That's a, just something that we commonly say, that men don't ask directions. Can you imagine this situation? This is a true situation that happened back on September 3rd, 1989. There was a plane, uh, Varig Airlines, uh, it was a 737 that took off from Maraba, Brazil, to fly a 48-minute flight to the north coast of Brazil on the Atlantic Ocean to the, to the town of Belém. And this was just a simple little hop. There were 48 passengers on board, a crew of six, and, you know, it was just a routine flight. And when the pilot was preparing, uh, doing through, getting everything set up for takeoff while the first officer was doing an outside inspection of the plane, he took his computer printout of the flight plan and then as, he reading, as he was reading about the direction to set the uh, horizontal situation indicator, that's the, the compass involving the compass on the plane and the, uh, guiding the direction of the plane where you fly, as he was reading where to set all, this, all these instruments, he read that the, the proper coordinates for the city that they were flying to was 0270. And when he read that, he typed it in, and he typed in 270. He forgot the first zero. And what then happened was the plane took off. They climbed to an altitude of 29,000 feet and then began heading straight west. You can kind of look at it this way. If you can imagine a compass dial looking like the face of a clock, he should have been heading toward 1 o'clock, north-northeast, but instead he was heading toward 9 o'clock, due west. They flew for about 48 minutes, and they began looking around for the airport, and they were calling the airport. They couldn't reach the airport on the radio. They didn't understand what was wrong. The sun had been setting, and that should have been an indicator. They should not have been flying in the direction of the sunset. And they began noticing these things. They're looking around. They're even looking for landmarks on the ground, and he can't find the airport. He thinks there must have been a power failure, and all the lights on the airstrip are out. So he's calling, he's calling, he can't get an answer. He says, oh, I must have overshot the, the airport. He makes a 180-degree U-turn and begins flying back due east, still in the wrong direction. As they fly along for a while, some of the passengers get antsy and they realize we've been in the air way too long. We should have landed by now. This flight's only 48 minutes long. He orders the flight attendants to give everybody free drinks. And he tells them there's been a power failure at the airport. That's why we can't see what's going on. And as they continue flying along, he sees, ah, a river, a landmark. That must be the Amazon that flows east and west and flows right near where we're going. And he begins heading in what he thinks is an easterly direction, but he actually starts heading south. After flying for about another 68 minutes or so, the first officer realizes the error. We've punched the wrong coordinates into the instruments. We're heading in the wrong direction. 
The pilot says, no, we've not made an error. And they keep flying until he realizes that they have made an error. And he begins calculating how much further they can go until they run out of fuel. They're looking for any airport to land at. They don't realize one's only about 100 miles away and they could get to it easily, but he can't see it, can't hail it, doesn't even know how to get it, to get to it. Amazingly, he was able to land the plane in the jungle. Now, it tore all the wings off. It twisted the, the fuselage of the plane and 13 people were killed. But everybody else survived. They had to live two days in the jungle before the rescuers could find them. But it was all because the pilot got lost and wouldn't ask for help. This story, this true tragic story, is a metaphor. And by the way, the pilot lost his license and he's not flying anymore, so don't worry. So did the first officer. But it's a metaphor for a story that I want to read to you today from the Bible. I want to encourage you to think about that it's time to get rescued. Now, you could maybe even say a better title for this message might be, it's time to admit that you're lost and you need somebody to find you and save you. But that's what we're talking about today. And I want to just caution you as we begin that you may be thinking, well, you know, this is really good for somebody who's really bad or somebody who's really far away from God or somebody who's really messed up their life. I don't know that I need to hear this. But the truth of the matter is, is that every person here needs this story. This story, this encounter of Jesus and the man named Zacchaeus is something that you need and I need if we are truly going to experience the life that really satisfies the life of salvation that God offers to us. We desperately need this. And so I want to invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. Now, if, you're, if you'd like to use one of the Bibles from the chair in front of you, it's page 870, like 878, 878. I invite you to follow along there. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. And then would you read verse 10 with me, please? 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That little phrase, that little sentence in verse 10, that's like Jesus giving his reason for coming into this world, his reason for being born into our world, his reason for existence. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the, that's the theme of this whole story. That's what this story is all about. It shows how Jesus has come to seek and save lost people. And the truth is, every person here is lost and we desperately need him to rescue us now i know a bunch of you are wondering when am i going to say and you know zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he but i promise not to say that i promise not to say that today but i just wanted to let you know that but this story that you remember from sunday school when you were a kid it's a fascinating story we really just want to talk about it today and then also make a couple very important observations about how, the, how this whole business of getting rescued comes about and why we need to be rescued as well. And why even if you say that you're a Christian, even if you have trusted in Christ and you're born again, you need to be rescued every day. We need to go through that as well and why this is so very, very important for us. Now the context the context of this story is that Jesus has been ministering in northern Israel, the area called Galilee, and he's now coming to Jerusalem. Believe it or not, these events that we read about Jesus speaking to Zacchaeus, these events are unfolding just a couple days before Palm Sunday. Jesus is going to ride that donkey into Jerusalem, and he's going to chase the money changers out of the temple and he's going to heal sick people and he's going to preach and he's going to debate the religious leader and all religious leaders and all these things are going to take place then friday that week he's going to be put on trial really thursday night into friday he's going to be put on trial he's going to be condemned and then they're going to crucify him and they're going to nail him to that cross and he's going to die going to die for our sins so all these things are just on the verge of taking place. And here is Jesus. He's just stopping on his journey to Jerusalem. He stops in this town called Jericho. It's a lovely town along the uh, Jordan River. It was very scenic. It was quite a, a beautiful agricultural location. Lovely gardens, roses galore, all kinds of orchards as well, and forests nearby, and just a lovely place. And it was a beautiful town where people loved to go for vacation, especially the high and mighty folks, the rich and powerful people. They wanted to get out of Jerusalem, particularly during the wintertime, and they wanted to head where it was warmer, and they would go to Jericho. It was about a 17-mile walk, and so it was, it was very, very pleasant to be there. And Jesus is just passing through Jericho. At the end of chapter 18, right before this encounter that Jesus has with Zacchaeus, he meets another man in Jericho who's like the total opposite of Zacchaeus. If Zacchaeus was rich and powerful, Bartimaeus was a man who was blind and a beggar. He had no money. And he is situated, located outside the city at one of the entrances to the city, and he's begging for money. And when he hears that Jesus and his entourage are coming into the town, he calls out. He just says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David's a name for the Messiah. He claims that Jesus is the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's thinking maybe Jesus will come over and drop some coins in his cup. 
But what Jesus does is when he stops and other people in the crowd are telling Bartimaeus to shut up and not bother Jesus, but Jesus goes up to Bartimaeus and he says, you know, what do you want? And he says, I want to be healed. I want to see. And Jesus heals him and completely restores his sight. And Bartimaeus begins worshiping and praising and celebrating God. So what was probably already a crowd becomes an even bigger crowd. And here's Jesus and all these people cheering. And there's Bartimaeus and all this commotion. The 12 disciples, everybody's kind of squeezing down the city streets coming through Jerusalem. And the crowds are through Jericho. And the crowds are building and people are leaning out the windows and lining the streets. And they can't wait to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Bartimaeus, excuse me, uh, Zacchaeus is excited as well. Now, you would think that he would not be so excited because he's a tax collector. I don't know what your opinion is of the Internal Revenue Service. That little chuckle indicates what I thought, okay? Is that, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to pay our taxes. And we all understand that, you know, when our taxes are used appropriately and when we're not wasted and when they're, they're not, uh, we're not overcharged, then, you know, we get roads and armies and things like that that we need. We, we need the taxes to be, we need to give our taxes so that these services are provided by our government. There's no question, our schools and such as well. But in Zacchaeus's world, the, the taxes were paid to the Roman government, not to the Israeli government. And the Romans didn't collect the taxes. They hired people like Zacchaeus to collect them. Zacchaeus was a collaborator. Somebody who worked with the Romans, who worked against the oppressive enemy government that was controlling and dominating the people of Israel. And so there's Zacchaeus. He's one of the insiders of Israel, and he's, he's getting the Jewish people to pay the taxes to the Romans. And you can just imagine how the, the Jewish people were upset about that. Why in the world are you helping the Romans? What's wrong with you? I thought you were a good patriotic Jewish boy. What's, what, what are you doing? And on top of all that, the Romans said, we'll give you a franchise. You can collect the taxes in this area. And the way you make money doing this is we don't pay you a salary. You collect this amount of taxes and you can add your own fees on top of your collection fees. You can put that on top. You can charge whatever you want. And we'll provide the muscle to make sure the people pay for it and give you that. And so in this story, it says that Zacchaeus was a, a chief tax collector, which means he was not just a tax collector, but he was in charge of that whole district. He was like the IRS commissioner for that entire area. So he's got lots of tax collectors reporting to him, and he's getting a cut of their money, and, and they're getting rich off the people they're collecting the taxes from. So, so when Luke gives this story about Jesus meeting Zacchaeus, he says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he's very rich. He's rich. Well, how did he get rich? He was cheating people, defrauding them of money, charging more than he should have, and he's become very rich. One other thing about Zacchaeus, and this is just an interesting thing, and it's because it's an important detail, explains what's going on. He's a short guy. He's vertically challenged. 
And so if he's going to see Jesus, you can imagine that nobody's going to be polite and let Zacchaeus move to the front of the line and see the parade as it goes by. He's got to take matters in his own hands. And I can just imagine Zacchaeus running as the story says. He's probably huffing and puffing. He probably hasn't been working out at the gym. And he's running down the street and he sees this tree and he climbs up into the tree. Now, a sycamore tree is a fig tree. It's the kind of fruit it produces, but it's also like a low-standing oak tree. So it's got a sturdy trunk, and it has a lot of branches that are low to the ground, and those branches are basically kind of parallel to the ground. So as you climb up into the sycamore tree, it's like climbing a ladder, so to speak. And even a short guy like Zacchaeus is able to climb up into the tree. And as he climbs up higher and higher into the tree, he's getting an ideal vantage point to be able to see Jesus come down the street with the crowds. Maybe he'll even see Bartimaeus, the blind man that got healed. And Zacchaeus is excited. I get to see Jesus. I want to see who he is. I want to hear what he's, what he's done. I've heard about him. I want to see him. Maybe he's even climbing up into the tree high enough that Jesus would not be able to see him trying to hide there behind the foliage. Because maybe Jesus doesn't like tax collectors either. Zacchaeus doesn't know. What I want you to notice here as we begin wading through this story and seeing the, the truth unfold here. I want you to notice that when it comes to being rescued, Jesus takes the initiative. Yes, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but it's Jesus who takes the initiative. Notice what happens in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was in that tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You know, I like inviting people over for meals. You do too. We enjoy hanging out and doing things like that. But I've never had somebody saying, oh, by the way, I'm coming to your, over to your house, Dan and Emily. What are we having for dinner today? <laughs> and Dan just got big. He was starting to fall asleep and his eyes just got really big like that, okay? <laughs> Kidding. And, you know, there's something that's kind of rude about that. There's something that's kind of brazen what, what are you doing, Jesus? And yet Jesus says, I must come to your house today. I must have dinner with you. Why must he do this? Was he hungry and that was the only place that had food? No, this is the plan. This is the plan that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triune God, had planned this out before. And the plan is being worked And here's Jesus at this place, at this time, looking up at a tree and talking to a short little chief tax collector who's very rich and nobody likes Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, you better get down out of that tree as fast as you can because I'm coming to your house for dinner today. I must do this. Jesus is taking the initiative. Yes, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. 
We often talk about people that haven't yet met the Lord and maybe they've got a desire to know about God. Maybe they have a a fear of the future and they want it resolved. Maybe they have a hunger and a thirst, whatever it is, to really have a relationship with God. And they start coming to church. Maybe they read spiritual books. Maybe they tune in the radio and they can hear a, a recording of like Billy Graham or somebody else and they're starting to ask questions. Maybe they do research online and they're looking. We say, that person is a seeker. And praise the Lord for people that seek to know the Lord. But the truth is, Jesus is seeking you. He's looking for you. He wants to save you. Years ago, I was driving over to York. I'd left Hanover. I was driving over to York. I had an appointment over there. And as I was going along, I started to get this discomfort in my chest. And, you know, being the man that I am, I said, I got a discomfort in my chest. I wonder if I should go to the hospital. No. I wonder if I should call the doctor. No. I wonder if I should tell Dawn. No. And I just kept driving, but I was worried. I wondered what, what, it, what it was. What is it? It was just kind of that discomfort right there. What, what is this? I'm, I'm, only, I'm in my early 40s. This, is, this, this should be nothing. What is this? And as I was driving along, I remember thinking this. I'm not going to go to the hospital, but I might be meeting Jesus today. And I just thought, Lord, if this is it, and I don't know where this thought came from because I had never thought it before. I'm serious. I remember driving along there. I was actually heading over toward York, New Salem. And as I was going along there, that back road, I remember thinking, Lord, if it's time for me to come to you, I want to tell you thank you because I would never have sought you by myself. You came and got me. Honestly, I had never thought, put all that together and thought about it that way. It was just like something that, that popped in my head and I just thought about it. Got a tear in my eye, just kind of kept driving along. I thought, this is it. And if I meet you, I just, I want you to know I'm thankful because you came and you rescued me. You sought me. And I want to thank you for that. And by the time I got to York, I didn't have a pain anymore, so it must have been indigestion. (laughs) But I've always remembered. I don't remember what I ate, but I always remember that the Lord reminded me that He had sought me first. That's just a tender little story from my life. But that's the truth. You and I would never come to saving faith. You and I would never be forgiven of our sins unless Jesus had come to find us. Unless he had come to search for us. Unless he had sought us. He takes the initiative in all this. And he does that. And he's seeking you today. He's seeking you even if you're already saved, but you're struggling. And you're trying to figure out, how do I stop this bad habit? How do I deal with this hurt in my past? How do I move forward? How do I overcome these things that are keeping me back from being all that God wants me to be? How do I change? How do I get saved daily? And he's seeking to help you there too. He's right there ready to help. We just have to be willing to let him. Something else that just really interesting to me in this story it's not just jesus being so bold and asking zacchaeus for a place at the dinner table and and not just him but his disciples too so so i'm oh by the way it's me and these 12 other guys 
we're coming for dinner. Hope you're ready. (laughs) But as he does all that, the people are watching what's going on. And they see Zacchaeus climb down out of the tree as fast as he can. They see how happy he is. He's maybe shaking hands with Jesus. Maybe he gives him a hug. He's excited. He says, come here. Let me take you to my house. Here, right down this street. Here we go. We're right around. We're almost there. We're almost there. Here, just come on with me. And as they're going along there, they they hear the joy. They see the excitement. The crowd is probably following all this because they wonder what Jesus is going to do with Zacchaeus. Is he going to lower the boom and let Zacchaeus really have it? What's he going to do? And as he sees all this, he can see that they see that Jesus is happy, that they're celebrating. Maybe Jesus even got his arm around Zacchaeus as they're going. And the crowd can't believe it. They're, they're offended by it. So it says in verse 6, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when the crowd saw it, it says that they grumbled. They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now look, they just saw him heal, heal the blind man. They've, many of them have heard him teach in other places, and now they're offended because here's Jesus, of all the people that he could be having dinner with, Jesus chooses to eat with Zacchaeus, the notorious, sinful tax collector. Chief of the tax collector. It's like being a mafia don. He doesn't go to the widow who takes care of all those orphans. He doesn't go to the rabbi at the synagogue. He doesn't go to the mayor or the city council. He doesn't go to the business leaders. He doesn't go to the principal at the school. He doesn't go to any of the other people that we would tend to honor and expect Jesus to visit and socialize with. The good people, the nice people, the powerful people, the up-and-comers, the religious people. He doesn't go with it. He goes with this notorious sinner, Zacchaeus. And they're offended. The irony of this story, and Luke does this often in his gospel, is he moves back and forth from the crowd to the individual, and then back to the crowd, and then to the individual, and then back to the crowd, and then back again to the individual. And the crowd and the individual are contrasted. They're compared. And in this story, you see this contrast going back and forth between the crowd who's offended that Jesus is visiting with Zacchaeus and ministering to Zacchaeus and sharing the gospel, the good news with Zacchaeus and befriending him. They're offended by that. And here's Zacchaeus, the sinner, the lost man. And he's delighted and excited and he's welcoming Jesus. You know, who's the lost person in this story? That's what Luke's trying to get across here by this contrast. Who's the lost person in this story? It's not just Zacchaeus. It's that whole crowd. It's all the people we just mentioned a minute ago. The widow, the rabbi, the mayor, the businessman, the educator, the general. All the people, everyone in that town, everyone there is lost. They're all sinners, and they all need Jesus to rescue them. But they don't see it. Why is Jesus wasting his time with this notorious sinner? He should be with us, the good and right and nice people. 
But Jesus didn't come for people who were well and thought they were healthy. He came for the sick and the dying. And Zacchaeus is kind of getting an idea that he's not so rich as he thinks and he's not so powerful as he thinks and he's not so life is good as he thinks. You can imagine that as Jesus and the disciples show up at Zacchaeus' house, uh, Zacchaeus has his servants start preparing dinner. They've got to straighten up the house. They've got to start cooking the meal. They've got to start getting all this stuff ready. And you can just imagine, maybe they're sitting outside. Maybe they're in a patio. Maybe they're inside the house. Whatever it is, there they are. And Jesus and Zacchaeus are just talking. Maybe he offers them something to drink. Maybe they've got some hors d'oeuvres to nibble on. But there they are. They're talking. They're visiting They're getting to know each other. And Zacchaeus, who just wanted to see who Jesus is, he gets to have a face-to-face conversation with him. And you can just imagine what Jesus wants to talk about. So Zacchaeus, do you know what I'm all about? Do you know what I'm doing? Do you know what I've been doing? What's your place in all this? Who are you? Did you know that no matter what you've done, there's a place for you at God's table? But are you willing to trust and follow me? Will you do that, Zacchaeus? The answer to that is this, and you can just imagine after that long conversation and dinner and all the discussion, all the questions Zacchaeus would have, all the things that Jesus would share, In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, and I think he's saying it to everybody that's standing there and watching, the folks that are at the windows looking in, the other guests at the table, the disciples who are there. He publicly declares this, Behold, Lord, I want you to see this. Look, I'm, I'm serious about this, Lord. Half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, if I've cheated anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, here's a change in this man's life. Because Zacchaeus was used to taking, and all of a sudden he becomes a giver. And he says, I'm going to take half of my wealth, and I'm going to take this wealth, and I'm going to give it to provide for people who are poor. I'm going to help them, provide for them. They can get medical care. They can get food. They can get some education. They can have what they need because I'm going to give this. I'm going to personally subsidize this with half of my wealth. And on top of that, to show that I'm really serious about wanting to follow you, Jesus, not only am I giving away my wealth, but if I've cheated anybody, and the original language there, the grammar, the setup is this, it's not if, like I'm not sure I have. I'm not really sure I've cheated anybody. He's not like a lawyer or you know, some defender, or, you know, accountant trying to equivocate somehow, making an excuse, rational, no. He's saying, literally, since I've cheated some people, since I have done this, since I've done this, I'm going to restore back to them fourfold. Now, the thing is, the rabbis had taught that, you know, if you're going to make restitution, you should give what you took and plus maybe two times as much if you really want to be generous, show you mean business, really want to reconcile. 
But Zacchaeus goes beyond that, and he says, no, I'll give four times as much. If I've taken a dollar from you, I'll give you four bucks. If I took $100 or $1,000 from you, I'll give you $400 or $4,000. I will make it right with you. You can imagine everybody that he's cheated. You can imagine everybody that he's defrauded. You can imagine how well they would feel towards Zacchaeus after they got that settlement. I want you to know I was wrong to steal this. And I deprived you of this money and I used it for my own good. And I'm giving it back to you. And by the way, look at all this interest that you've accumulated. I'm giving it back to you. What we see here is not only Jesus seeking out the lost person, but that sinner choosing to receive that salvation. And you see the change it's brought about in his life. He pays it back fourfold. No one can deny that Zacchaeus was a sinner. You could maybe question had he genuinely become a follower of Christ, and yet here is conclusive proof that the change has taken place. See, this whole dynamic between the crowd and Zacchaeus and who's really lost and who's a sinner we struggle with this because we tend to point the finger and say, you know, that guy, that crook over there, yeah, he really needs salvation, but I'm okay, thank you. I'm all right, thank you. And yet I really appreciate something that Brene Brown, who's a uh, sociologist at, at the University of Houston, Texas, and she gave a, a TED Talk, a, a short public lecture recently, actually just a few years ago, And in that lecture, she was talking about the power of being vulnerable, the power that comes to you when you're willing to admit your weaknesses. And she pointed something out. She said very clearly that every one of us, every one of us is just one step away from being like the broken people we see around us. We're just one step away. And she says it this way. We are those people. I am those people. The truth is, we are the others. Most of us are one paycheck, one divorce, one drug-addicted child, one mental health diagnosis, one serious illness, one sexual assault, one drinking binge, one night of unprotected sex, or one affair away from being one of those people, the people we don't trust, the ones we pity, the ones we don't let our children play with, the the ones bad things happen to, the ones we don't want to live next door to. I'm just one, one step away from that. See, you and I, we can put up these structures. You know, I have Christian friends and internet filters and I have safeguards and all these things and that keeps me from falling into those kinds of problems like those other people. Or, you know, I've, I've got enough self-discipline that I don't do that. I have, I have friends that hold me accountable or I just have the moral constitution, moral fiber that I don't give into those kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is, is the same hunger and thirst and lust and desire for those sinful kinds of things they're there in me in me and they're there in you and the same kind of disasters and calamities that were described the things that are outside of our control that can just happen whether it's a catastrophic hurricane or earthquake or a a major 
physical problem, you know, a life-altering um, medical calamity, a divorce, the choices our children make, our parents make. We have no control over those things. And they can happen to us. And we can be one of those people just like that. You see, I'm lost. So are you. I say that not to offend you in any way. I don't mean it to be presumptuous. I once was having a Bible study at the Carroll County Detention Center, and I said a statement like that, and I had inmates there look at me, and they were highly offended that I said that they were lost. I apologized because maybe it was disrespectful, but I also chuckled under my breath. I said, who's wearing the orange jumpsuit? We're all lost. We all desperately need to be rescued. Zacchaeus understood that. And he took the salvation that Jesus offered him and his life was changed. One of the beautiful things in this story that we don't really notice on the surface, but if we just dig a little deeper underneath the surface, we see that yes, Zacchaeus gets saved by Jesus, so he doesn't suffer God's judgment anymore. He gets to become a member of God's family, and so this is all really great. But I want you to notice that there's a salvation that's going on in the present day. See, Zacchaeus not only had his past, his sinful record expunged, But there's a transformation going on right now as this story is unfolding. You see him renouncing his greed, renouncing his oppression, renouncing the exploitation that he made his wealth by. And instead of engaging in those sinful practices, he chooses instead to become a benefactor helping people who are poor. And he begins making restitution to the people that he's cheated. There's been a salvation, a transformation in his present life today. You and I need to be saved each and every day from the lust and the greed and the thirst and the appetites and the cravings that we have that want to ensnare us and and trap us. We need to be rescued from the the anxiety, the the depression, the, the heartache of our lives, the trauma of our past and how we respond to those traumas. We need to be rescued from that. We can't change the past but we can be saved from an incorrect response that allows that past to keep harming us. We can be saved and transformed. Remember, the word rescue and and salvation in Scripture, it's always the idea of escaping danger and being put in a place of safety and blessing. Rescued from danger, escaping danger, and being put into a place of blessing and safety. And that's what Zacchaeus is discovering. He didn't realize, and maybe other people didn't realize, that he needed to be rescued. I mean, look how rich he is. He was on a a missions trip one time, and a a gentleman just kind of shook his head and said, I'm not really sure why we're here, because these people... They don't need salvation and all he could look at was their boats and the fact that they had four-wheelers and they lived in heated houses and they had indoor plumbing and cars and trucks and all this kind of stuff. He says, they don't need salvation. And he didn't see all the empty beer cans around and he had forgotten about how many people in that village had committed suicide 
and he couldn't remember that there was something inside that all these things just masks. These possessions just cover up the fact that I'm lost and we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. The truth is, all of us are lost and we need to be rescued. When Jesus is saying that salvation has come to this house and then carries it a step further and says that he himself is the son of man, a, a title for the Messiah that Jesus used for himself, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. And this story of me rescuing Zacchaeus is an example of this. This is what I can do for anybody, no matter how sinful they are, no matter how lost and broken they are, I can come to the rescue. I can bring them into my family. I can help them escape danger and bring them to a place of safety. The truth is, Jesus is saying in this story, the lost are found when Jesus rescues them. That's what this is about. If you're lost today, Jesus can rescue you. If you need to be found, Jesus can find you and save you. And he will rescue you when you trust in him. The thing that's so remarkable to me too, that as I think about this story, is not just how beautiful the story is and how Zacchaeus gets a new start and he gets saved and all of this, this is really powerful and beautiful and wonderful. But, but what I was saying earlier of, of what's about to happen next, that when Jesus leaves Jericho, he's going to journey to Bethany and visit with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his dear friends. And then he's going to get on that donkey on Palm Sunday and ride into Jerusalem. And all the events of Holy Week are going to take place until Jesus is finally nailed to the cross. And as he's hanging on that cross, nails through his hands and nails through his feet, a crown of thorn on his head, as he's hanging there in agony, he is suffering and dying there. And some people are going to start talking to him. So the religious leaders are standing below the cross where Jesus, his naked body hanging there dying, and they taunt him and they say, if you really are the Messiah, save yourself and come down from the cross. But Jesus doesn't do that. And then the Roman guards that are watching all this unfold, they begin taunting and mocking Jesus as well. Save yourself if you really are the Son of God. But he doesn't do that. Even one of the thieves that was hanging on the cross next to him, he turns to Jesus and gasps and says, if you really are the Son of God, save us and yourself. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't save himself. Jesus won't save himself. In fact, bear with me, I don't think Jesus can save himself in that situation if he's going to save you and he's going to save me. It's his love that's holding him on that cross. He'd have to quit loving you and quit loving me to come down off that cross. But he doesn't do that because he has come to rescue the lost. He is seeking for them and he's giving his life for them for Zacchaeus, for Bartimaeus, for that whole crowd, even for the enemies that were taunting him. Jesus was giving his life 
to rescue them. What will you do with that? Will you trust him like Zacchaeus did? Or will you get angry and think that you're not a sinner like the crowd? Will you cry out and ask for forgiveness like the other thief on the cross did? I don't deserve, he doesn't deserve this. I deserve what I'm suffering. But he doesn't. Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Today, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. Who will you be like? Are you lost? Are you fine? And the truth is, everybody here is lost, but not everyone admits it. That's called denial. I don't need to be rescued. And yet we desperately need to be rescued today. Stop trying to save yourself. You can't. Cry out to Jesus and He will save you. He will take away your sin. He will give you new life. He will make you God's child and He will bring you out of that place of danger and put you into the place of safety and life with Him if you're willing to trust Him. And this week when you face those struggles that just seem so overwhelming and you don't know how you're going to do it and you don't know how you're going to be able to press on and stop doing that sinful habit or stop you know, worrying and obsessing about this horrible thing in your life, whatever it might be, Lord, would you save me? Help me. Help me in this situation. And he will come to the rescue. Let him do that. Let's pray together. Father, I give thanks to you for this day, for the privilege of being in your presence. And I'm asking that, Father, you would help each of us here to see ourselves as you do. We are loved, but we are lost. We are valued, but here we are. We're trapped. We're caught in our sins. We're covered with shame and guilt. We're helpless, powerless to change our lives. I ask that, Father, you would help us, please, to cry out to you and let you save us. Thank you, Jesus, for not saving yourself so that we could be saved today. I ask and pray that you would help us just to remember this and to apply it in our lives and throughout the day, each day, cry out to you for the help and the salvation that we need for your honor and for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.